All right, well, we've done a lot of praying already this morning, but we're going to really spend time just in one specific chapter today. I've got a couple little introductory verses, and then we're going to be in John chapter 6. And so let's just prepare our hearts um, to, to receive from the Lord. We're talking about breaking bread today, breaking bread. It's kind of continuing um, along the lines of fellowship, something that we talked about two weeks ago. We practiced some of it together last Sunday, and we're going to kind of continue on that theme together this morning. And so, Lord Jesus, one more time, we just invite you. God, we know that you're always with us and that you're present. But Lord, we want to make the conscious decision to say, come and speak. Lord, um, quiet my heart, quiet my mind. Lord, may your word come alive. Holy Spirit, would you highlight the things that you want us to see today? God, if, if there's things we, we just, we need to be in a place of receiving that you just, you want to hand to us. God, that might bring healing or encouragement. Lord, I, I pray that our hearts would be in a place to receive that. Lord, if there's, there's things you want to invite us into, God, areas where you want us to grow and be stretched, God, would you make that clear? And Lord, thank you for the way you communicate. God, you don't condemn. God, you, you convict, you correct, and then you give us your grace to be who you're calling us to be. And so God, would you do that work in us this morning? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, um... This message is a variation of a message. You know, there's two or three themes, ideas that we just hit on here, that we just talk about here in this community, in our gathering. And I have preached some variation of this sermon a handful of times in the last five or so years. Um, and it, it is very core and central to who we are, who we're called to be, how we operate with one another. And so um, we've kind of laid the groundwork already for, for fellowship and how it's rooted in just who we are. Like a church is a body, a church is a family, all of those things, right? And so what I wanna talk about this morning is what, what does that mysterious environment that is created when the people of God, when the body of Christ come together, what does that look like? What does God wanna want me to receive in that environment? And also, what do I bring to the table in that environment? What, what do I do to contribute to the building up and encouragement of the body? And so we're going to talk about the breaking of bread. So Acts chapter 2 has been our launch off point. I want to highlight a couple of verses. Um, I actually hope you get tired of these verses by the time we're done with this series because it just gets in you. It gets down into you. So I'm going to read verse, uh, Acts chapter 2 verse 42 and then verse 46. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We talked about that a few weeks ago devoted to doctrine, um, and to the fellowship, all right, that was two weeks ago, connecting together as the body of Christ, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, verse 46, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread, there it is again, in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Man, there's just something wonderful about sitting down at a table, having a meal, and, and it's both very practical and tangible. Like, I just like eating good food. Like, I'm a food guy. I love eating good food. But there's something that happens when we gather with others and we share a meal together. It's, it's weird, but just it connects you. 
it connects you. And so there's something to this idea of breaking bread. So the way we're going to explore this is we're going to look at a, at a relatively well-known story. Almost all the Gospels have some variation of this story. Um, it, it most likely actually happened a couple of different times in Jesus' ministry, but it's, it's the multiplication of, of the, the bread, of the loaves and the fish to feed the 5,000. But there's a lot happening around just that unique moment and that unique miracle. And so we're going to kind of look at the entire context and I've got five points this morning, all right? Five different things that I believe Jesus wants his people to experience and participate in when we break bread together, all right? Y'all ready? You with me? Okay, so in John chapter six, um, to give a little bit of context to this, we're actually gonna read something that, that is recorded in Mark's gospel because he gives us some really good insight into how Jesus and the disciples were feeling, what they were going through um, when we come to the story of the feeding of the 5,000, all right? Because like when I hear that story, like I see the little Bible picture books, you know those like, those like picture Bibles and like you see Jesus and he's smiling and they're on this grassy hillside and the sun is shining and the disciples are there, right? And there's the kid with the basket and yeah, do y'all have that visual? Yeah. It's like, it just, everything looks wonderful. And like, that is not actually the context of how Jesus and the disciples were feeling. And so Mark lets us in on this. In Mark chapter six, verse 31, it says, and Jesus said to them, this is the 12, his core group. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. Let's get away from everybody and chill out. Man, that sounds great, doesn't it? Let's get away and let's chill out. Let's rest. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. Jesus and the disciples are ready for a break. Now, if we get a full sense of the context here, here's why they're tired. They're tired because this picks up right after Jesus has sent out the disciples two by two to do ministry. And so they've gone town to town and they've ministered and they've come back to kind of report about that ministry. They have poured out. They've poured out and they're weary and they're tired. Also, during that time, John the Baptist has been beheaded. Jesus' close, dear friend and relative has been beheaded. Like, it would be sad if John had just passed away from an illness. Like, that would be hard enough. Like, a dear, close friend had been, had been lost. Like there would be weariness and heartbreak. But this is even more than that. Like John was taking a stand for the kingdom of God. And he was martyred. He was killed because of who, who he was, what he stood for. Y'all get that? Like so Jesus and his disciples are, they literally are putting their lives on the line to share the love and grace of God. And, and so They've been working, they're weary, they're tired. There's heartache, there's heartbreak. That's the context of the feeding of the 5,000. Like, they're worn down. And so, friends, kind of the, the first thing I just want to encourage you with that, that Jesus intends for his community, his people, his family to experience when we gather, guys, he wants there to be rest for the weary. Like, he identified that that was a core need and, and he wanted to help meet that need for himself and for his followers. Like, we need to get away. We need to rest. 
Friends, I just have to say to you, um, sometimes the very place that we don't want to go is where we need to go. I have experienced this in my life, and I've watched it happen in the lives of others. When life gets weary and busy and chaotic, like one of the things that we do to protect ourselves because we know we need rest is we start eliminating things. And, and I, th- I think there actually is a lot that the Lord wants us to learn about learning the word no and resting. And I mean, we did a whole series called Sabbath not too long ago about how important it is for us to create space for rest. But friends, I, I've done this in my life and I've watched in the lives of others. Many of us eliminate gathering with the body of Christ when we get busy. And, and the very thing God created for us to be a place where we would come and we would get refreshed, we would get encouragement, we would find new strength with one another, we neglect that. And it, it has the opposite effect. It's, it's harmful for us. Jesus is saying, come to me. Like he, he told the weary and the tired to come to him. Alex quoted a portion of it this morning, right? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus intends for us to find rest in him and with his people. And so rest for the weary. So let's, let's consider what that looks like in our lives as I gather with members of the body of Christ. What does that mean for me? How do I do that? How can I create space and margin in my life so I can gather with the body of Christ? When I come, am I a restful, safe place for other people? Like, like, do I help create that space? Or maybe in, in your own life, it's like, hey, am I carving out time to go to be with the people of God so I can find rest and encouragement that's needed? See, it's this mutual thing that we do with each other. Does this make sense, guys? So like in a really practical way, like we try to create space for this within our church community. Like we have life groups and those aren't just meant to be like faithful Bible studies because we gotta meet and we gotta study. It's like, no, these are meant to be places where we come and one of the things we experience together is that we find rest together. One of the things I've really enjoyed in our life group is we, we will spend a consistent portion of our time just kind of catching up. What's going on? Where are you at? What are you going through? We share, we share struggles and things that we're facing. And we've even created a little, little text thread group that just shares prayer requests with one another. And like it, it creates this sense of like, it doesn't necessarily fix everything that's going on, but I've got brothers and sisters that are helping carry the load. And we find rest. And ultimately, we're reminding each other, Jesus has the solution to all of this. All of the things that can make life difficult and weary, we find rest in him and we remind each other of that. So rest, rest for the weary. Let's not allow I, kind of the one main excuse we can use that I'm too busy to stay committed to gathering, to rip us off from the very thing that will help us in the midst of busy, weary, tired lives. We are meant to receive healing, rest, and encouragement when we gather. Guys, the bottom line is life is too busy, therefore we can't afford to neglect meeting together. We need it. We need it. All right? So that's point number one. Now, as we begin to move into this, we kind of reach point two, and that is this. Jesus intends for his people to have their hunger met. Like there's, there's food for the hungry. And so the reality is these guys get away to find a desolate place and people show up and the scripture actually records like Jesus looks around and he had compassion 
on all the crowds who gathered. And he said they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he had compassion on them. He leaned in. And so he was preaching and he was teaching and the day gets long and the disciples begin to get nervous because they're like, man, there's a lot of people out here, like thousands, and we're kind of in the middle of nowhere because we were trying to look for a place to hide and rest and they found us. Now we're out in the middle of nowhere with no food and we're all getting hungry. Like, I'm hungry. And so can we send these people away so like I can eat? And, you know, because we care about them. They need to eat too. I'm sure that was part of it. Um, but like, you know, hey, it's time to shut things down. And instead, Jesus said, no, we're going to feed them. What do we have? And so I'm just going to read a portion of this, but you can kind of see the whole story in John chapter 6, verses 5 through 12. Um, and now picking up in verse 10, Jesus said to them, to the disciples, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. You know, we refer to this as the feeding of the 5,000, but like they just counted like the heads of the household was 5,000. So you got men, women, and children. I mean, this could be 15, 20,000 people easily. It's a big crowd. And, and so he says, have them sit down. Then he took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Now, the miracle itself is unbelievable. With just a few loaves of bread and a few loaves of fish, Jesus is able to multiply and feed everyone. Guys, there, there is something really powerful about us bringing the little bit that we have and entrusting it to Jesus. There are times in my life where it's the end of the day and I'm tired, I'm exhausted, and it's time to, like, engage with my wife and kids. <laughs> and, y'all, I'd be doing great if I could get a couple loaves together for that. <laughs> like, I just, sometimes I feel like I just don't have it. But when we lean in to the spaces Jesus calls us to, into the relationships that he's called us to, if we take the scraps that we have and give them to him, he does something miraculous with them. And so I want you to see some things that happen in this process. First of all, in the feeding of everyone, Jesus involved the disciples. Some of the other gospels get really detailed, like have them sit down and have them get in groups and here, y'all take and distribute this. And so the disciples are handed something by Jesus and they take it and they are participating in handing it out. We get to participate in the process of feeding one another as Jesus feeds us. And we get to watch him take the little bit that we've got and multiply it. And all the needs are met. And, and the gospels record that when the miracle was done, there were leftovers. So even in the midst of the disciples participating in the giving out, Jesus made sure that they received what they needed. Their needs were met. They were fed. Listen, guys, we can spiritualize this. And, and we're going to talk about spiritual food as we get into this a little bit more this morning. But like, this is just practical and tangible. Their physical needs got met. People got fed. They got cared for. I, I, want, I want to consider it this way. When we talk about food for the hungry, I want to give you kind of two categories to consider this, just looking at what Jesus did and how he involved the disciples. Two categories. Food for the hungry boils down to serving food together and eating food together serving food together and eating food together. There is a miraculous provision and joy that comes when we link arms with our brothers and sisters and serve alongside one another. 
Some of my greatest joys in life have been on a mission trip with friends, feeding people under a bridge who are hungry. Like, I mean, even just, even just things like some of the, the relationships I've formed in this church body have just been with some bros who are here early on Sunday mornings. And it's like, is it fun rolling and unrolling that rug every week? Nope. Is it fun getting that TV off the stand that it's on every week? No. Like, that's just, that's just work. And if I was by myself here doing it, it'd be really miserable work. But when I'm doing this alongside brothers, it's just like we're doing something together. Hey, we're getting a place ready where people can come and gather. Hey, this miracle is going to happen. A public school gym is going to turn into a place where the presence of God comes and touches people's lives. And we get to participate in that together. Serving alongside one another. And then eating together, like receiving from the Lord together. Sharing a meal together. Like, those are powerful things that, that transpire. To even change the terminology a little bit more, serving together and eating together. Listen, this is about learning how to work together and play together. When I think about the context of fellowship, just even in my home with my children, it's really, really important to me that we all know how to work alongside one another. And I can tell the times when like one or two people like my wife primarily, but even a couple of older girls are like carrying the main load of the work around the house and, and you can see it on their face. Like even if they're like not calling out the lack of participation by others, right? You just, you see the weariness and the frustration or like there's kids in this room like destroying it while someone's cleaning this room. And then they realize, oh, there's a clean room over here. Let's go play over there. And it's like you're chasing this thing, right? It's exhausting. Moms were like, yeah, bro, let me get up there and preach that message for a minute. Um, but there's something really cool that happens within our family where every now and then we go, hey, guys, we're just going to kind of all chip in and do this together. Amy was gone for a little bit this weekend, and so it was like, the house didn't look the best, let's just say, while she was gone Friday night and Saturday morning. I mean, Saturday morning, it was like a bomb had gone off in the living room, you know. And we were just totally like vegging out, chilling out, like it was great. And it's like, I'm looking at my watch, I'm like, okay, mom's going to be home in like an hour, so it's time to like, we've done the play together part, it's, it's time to roll up our sleeves. And so we just kind of delegated responsibilities and cleaned up the house, but like we did it together. And like there's just, there's something that happens when we work alongside one another, but see, if it's all work, if it's all labor, we're missing out. Like I think there's church communities, and, and listen, we can be guilty of that here. I don't want to just look externally, we can be guilty here. If all we do when we gather is just, Work, strive, effort, pour out. Pfft. Instead of being a place of rest for the weary, it just makes us weary. Right? We gotta learn to, we gotta play together, we gotta laugh, we gotta enjoy the fellowship. But if it's just a bunch of like kind of everybody doing their own thing, no worries, like the needs don't get met, but we miss out on the blessing of the miracle. Like it's not just, hey, stuff didn't get done. I miss out on watching Jesus multiply. Do you ever think about this? What was it like when Peter went like this? And there's more there. What? They watched the miracle happen in their hands. When we decide I'm going to participate in in feeding the hungry. I need to be fed and I'm aware of that. So I'm going to eat and I'm going to receive, but I'm also going to serve. I'm going to learn 
to have Jesus-centered relationships where we work alongside one another and we fellowship, we play together, there's laughter, there's joy. And those two things together, man, that's food for the soul too. Is this making sense, guys? Y'all with me? All right, so rest for the weary, food for the hungry. Number three, a shelter in the storm. You know, if you're like me, these different Bible stories, they're kind of just all by themselves independently. Like I learned this story when Jesus did this and this story when Jesus did that. But like all within one day, one experience, they're weary and exhausted. They, they minister and there's food for everybody, including themselves. And then as the day draws to a close, Jesus is getting a little time for prayer and the disciples set out to cross the sea. This is all happening in the same moment. Check this out. John chapter six, now verse 18 and 19. The disciples have set out to cross the sea at night in the evening and the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, I mean, I'm exhausted just reading that sentence. <laughs> they rowed three or four miles in a storm. They saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Guys, they're rowing in a hard storm. There's fear and there's exhaustion. Anybody ever relate to those two realities of life? Fear and exhaustion? Man, I do. The third principle this morning about our gathering is, is experiencing shelter in the storm. What I love about this story is even before Jesus shows up, they're in the boat together. They're rowing the boat together. They're, they're in the storm, they're in the difficulty, but they're in it together. Man, guys, one of the main ways that we watch Jesus come in in hard seasons of our life and provide shelter in the storms of life is that we got some other people rowing with us. And so we begin to recognize, I'm in need right now, and I'm a little scared, and I'm a little exhausted. Oh, wait, what's that out there on the horizon? It's Jesus. Verse 20. But Jesus said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Friends, when we're in, when we're in each other's boat, in Jesus-centered relationships, then what we get to do is we get to invite Jesus into the boat with us. We can be glad to receive him in. See, part of going through the storms of life together, I, I've walked through some storms of my own, but I've spent a lot of time walking through the storms that other people are facing. And guys, I gotta tell you, like being in ministry for years, having the title of pastor does not mean I feel any more equipped to face the storms of life with people when I'm looking at their situation and going, man, I don't have the answer to that. I don't know how to fix that. I don't know how to solve that. I can't do anything to change these circumstances. But there, there's power in getting in the boat with people. There's power in that. There's power in linking arms and bearing one another's burdens. And then there's power, see there's these verses that sometimes we just throw at people in a hard season that we mean them to be encouraging and really it just seems offensive, you know, like all things are gonna work to good for those who love the Lord. Man, don't, don't throw that at me when I'm in a hard moment, right? But it's not throwing it at someone 
if I'm in the boat right there with them and we're saying, oh, God, make that real. God, we need you. I'm in this with you. I'm not throwing it at you in passing. See the difference? I'm in the boat with you. Jesus, come be in our boat. Jesus, come be our shelter in the storm. Jesus, we need your miraculous power to come and at least be in this boat with us even if the wind and the waves don't stop. And he does. He comes. We, we help remind each other of his presence with us that he is the shelter in the storm. So we find rest for the weary, food for the hungry. We find a, a shelter in the storm. Friends, I, I've said this before. If you've heard me say it, I'm not even going to apologize. You can hear me say it again. One of the most difficult things for, for me in years of ministry is watching the amount of people who wait till they are in the midst of difficulty and tragedy and then look around and go, I don't have a safety net. I don't have friendships. I, don't, I have nothing to rely on here. I have nothing to draw on. They haven't invested in the lives of other people. They haven't invested in Jesus-centered relationships. And so they look around, they have no boat, and they're just in despair. Listen, the storms are inevitable. They're inevitable. But if we learn to, to walk together, link arms with other people, man, when the storm comes, it's still going to be hard, but like I've got somewhere to go. And it, it's devastating to watch people try to pick up the pieces when, when they're just, they're alone and they're floating out there by themselves. Like, don't wait. Choose to invest in the kingdom of God. Choose to invest in those needed relationships. You're not in the storm right now? That's great. Get in somebody else's boat. And then be grateful when they're, they're ready to get in the boat with you when you're in trouble. Two more. Two more. Rest for the weary, food for the hungry, shelter in the storm. Something really ha interesting happens next. So they get to the other side and everybody realizes the crowd of people that had been attracted to Jesus and everything that had happened, they're like, wait, they, they went somewhere. Where'd they go? And so they follow them around the next day to the other side of the sea there. And they get to the other side and now they're like, they're wanting more from Jesus. And you know, man, there's, there's so much we could talk about here. But like at the end of the day, there are people that have a misperception of who Jesus is and what he's all about. And so there's an entire dialogue that I would encourage you to read on your own um, from verses 26 through 58. But one of the things that gets exposed really quickly is that um, there are people that are just looking for their own selfish needs to get met, met. And Jesus finally calls it out and he says, you know what, you guys are here right now because your bellies got full yesterday. That's why you're here. But Jesus says, I, I've got more for you than that. Do I care about your practical needs? Absolutely. Do I want to meet them? Yes. But th this community, me, my presence, my people, there's, so, there's something deeper available in me. And, and I want you to see what it is right here. So he's having this interaction with them, and we're going to read verses 34 and 35, and then we're going to read verse 41. They said to Jesus, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never 
thirst. Verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Friends, the fourth thing that needs to happen within our communities, our Christian circles, our life groups, our church family, the fourth thing that needs to happen is we need to be challenged by truth. We need to be challenged by truth. We should find rest. We should have meals together, serve alongside one each other. We should bear one another's burdens. Friends, we got to be challenged by truth. Because if we're willing to be challenged by truth, then we will be satisfied by truth. If I'm willing to be challenged by truth, I can then be satisfied by truth. Jesus was trying to help selfish, immature people understand that this practical thing he did over here by feeding them would point to a larger reality that's available only in him. He was trying to say that I can satisfy needs that you will never find satisfied anywhere else. I am the bread of life. I can give you thirst for your weary souls that'll never run dry. And for many of the people there, they could never get past their perception, their preference, what they wanted. See, they wanted Jesus on their terms, not on his terms. Friends, one of the reasons why we've got to gather as a church community is we've got to remind each other of Jesus' terms. I won't bother to re-preach the whole message right here, but this is what we were talking about when we were talking about being devoted to doctrine and the need for that to be a central point when we fellowship. Like, being rooted in truth anchors us because instead I'm going to try to create my own truth, my own reality. And guys, this is something that is swirling in our culture right now. We have, we've somehow been, a, been um, unable to differentiate between the reality of my personal experiences versus something that I start calling my truth. Something can be your personal experience that you're walking through. But there's only one person who owns truth. That's Jesus Christ. And so even in the midst of my circumstances or my experiences, Jesus reminds me and, and holds as my anchor that brings satisfaction. Even if it challenges me, it ultimately satisfies my need because his deeper truth is reality. Because my experience has been marked by my own sin and brokenness. My experience has been marked by the sin and brokenness of others around me who hurt me along the way. And my personal experience happens in the context of a world that's imperfect. Like it's just hard. Somebody gets sick, somebody, like, those are just the hard realities of an imperfect world. And so my experience is touched by sin and by brokenness. The reality of Jesus and the life that is available only in him is an anchor point. It can remind me to hold on when I've been wounded and hurt by others. It can remind me to be corrected in a healthy way when my own sin is ripping me off. And so Jesus, Jesus intends for us to be comforted and loved and encouraged. And so much of what we said in the first few 
bits of the message this morning, but Jesus intends for us to experience life-changing truth. And if we will allow that truth to challenge us and correct us, we then get to receive and experience the satisfaction that comes from the life of Jesus. But if we resist, ignore, or reshape truth to fit what we want, we will not be satisfied. We might temporarily get what we want, but we ultimately will not be satisfied. Only Jesus satisfies. And so we need to learn to come to Jesus on his terms. See, this is that deeper food that he offers. And see, it's spiritual food that then ends up meeting even our practical needs. And so friends, one of the reasons why we need to gather is we need to gather to be challenged by truth. I need other people to speak scripture to me, but I also need other people who know me that can go, hey, Jake, like in that circumstance right there, bro, I, th I think you're missing it. I think you're missing it. Here's another perspective. Here's something maybe you're not seeing. And see, if, if we have cultivated, like these aren't five independent things. I know I haven't gotten to the fifth one yet. These aren't five independent things. It, it's an, it's, it all works together. And so if we have an environment where there's rest and comfort for the weary, if we have an environment where we work alongside one another, we play together. In other words, we've invested in relationship. When we've been a shelter in a storm, then relationships like that can handle being challenged by truth. They can handle it. Because we've, we've walked through some stuff together. Like, man... There's a scripture that says faithful are the wounds of a friend. And I'm telling you, I, I've lived that. The, some of the people that know me the best and love me the most, they're the ones that have said some of the hardest things I've needed to hear. And I'm, I'm not gonna pretend like I was thrilled in the moment to, to have that experience. But I'm grateful for my friends who've, who've said hard, needed things. And I knew they loved me and cared about me. And so because they were willing to challenge me with truth, I could taste and see that the Lord is good. I can, I can eat of the life of Jesus and be satisfied. Jesus got so real about this, and he gets so kind of frustrated with, with everybody present. This is what ends up leading to him to say just as directly as he can, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you've got no part in this. And people went, whoa. That's challenged by truth. He was trying to break through their defenses, break through their blindness to help them see his reality. And so this leads to the fifth thing, guys. I want to leave you all with this thought. The fifth, the fifth thing this leads us to is that, um, and you can read about this in verses 60 through 69. God wants us to have a place where we can wrestle and we can grow. We can wrestle. Like we can wrestle through maybe some of the hard seasons of life we can wrestle through some of the things we don't understand. Like, what do I do with that? Jesus said, eat his flesh and drink his blood. What does he mean there? What do, what do I do with that? We can wrestle through this stuff and it helps us to grow. You know, have you ever thought about the different types of people that were within Jesus' 12 disciples? Like, people that would be very, in very different places in life. You've got a fisherman, you've got a tax collector. Like, people that have so little in common. And then, you know, some of the people end up being the leaders of the church, right? We know like the Peters and the Johns, 
Like, if you look, they were some of the ones that were the biggest mess when Jesus was investing in them. It's, it's just really interesting to watch, like, all the different people Jesus will have together. And I, I just, I think Jesus does this on purpose. I think he likes to mess with us a little bit. I think he knows that there's something really good that happens when we're around difficult people. Like, I usually try to run away from that. And Jesus is like, no, that's actually really good for you. Like, think about this phrase. I mean, we all know this verse, you know, maybe we've hung it on, at a, on a, a refrigerator as a magnet or shared it on Instagram now or whatever. Like, iron sharpens iron, right? We love that quote, iron sharpens iron. That means metal is smashing up against other metal or a whetstone and sparks are flying and rough edges are getting hit and knocked. That don't feel good. <laughs> As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We have such a tendency. I, listen, I think this is actually a human problem that's existed for 2,000 years, but I think it's incredibly on display within the last several years in our current cultural environment. When a relationship gets difficult, when there are things that we disagree on or don't see eye to eye on, we run the opposite direction, we retreat into our separate corners, and we just find people that will agree with me. And the problem is you can only create so many groups. Eventually, there's not gonna be groups left. It's just gonna be a bunch of individual people on their lonely little island of, well, I just agree with me, myself, and I, and that's it. And it's isolating. We, we were actually meant to engage with people that might rub us in difficult ways at times. But that's how we wrestle and we grow and we change. Jesus invites us to be with difficult people and he invites us to wrestle with his difficult words. That's what makes us strong. You know, as a dad, like one of the things I've enjoyed doing over the years is like I'll wrestle with my kids. Do you know why I wrestle with my kids? Like, it's, 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 it's not so that I can have the ego trip of being really strong and beating them. Like, I don't wrestle with my kids because it's like, yeah, five-year-old, I just put you in your place, pinned you again, right? Like, if I am doing it for that reason, like, something's really messed up. <laughs> no, I wrestle with my kids and, like, like it, it's something we're doing together and it's good for them. Like, I want them to test their strength against me. I want them to feel like, hey, you're strong, you're powerful, like, and we engage with one another. Listen, guys, God wants us to wrestle with him. And he'll even put us in relationships with each other. We wrestle a little bit and it, we grow. We find strength. The very things that we want to run away with sometimes, we want to run away from sometimes because they're difficult are the very things God has placed there for us to grow. Five things. Rest for the weary, food for the hungry, shelter in the storm a place to be challenged and satisfied by truth, and a place to wrestle and grow. Guys, that, that's what Jesus has for us. Man, that is the heartbeat of what I hope like our life group environments look like. That's like an intentional time we wanna carve out for us to engage with one another in that way. But friends, like, just do that in your friendships. Get to know one another. Invest time with each other. You know, start with the meal. Start with that. Let's play together. Let's do that. Hey, cool, how can we serve together? Let's come alongside. Let's serve one another. 
man, how, how can I be a place of rest and encouragement for you? Hey, you're in a storm? Man, I need to be one of your first phone calls when you're in a storm. We invest in one another and we watch Jesus show up and do miraculous things. Because the reality is all these things that we've read, like as the body of Christ, like, like when I hear this list, I go, man, I would love to experience that, but boy, it sounds exhausting to help contribute towards that. <laughs> but see, remember, the body of Christ means like we're embodying his life. It's, it's us saying, yes, I'll participate in him doing the work. Guys, you want to see the miracle of, of the bread multiplying? Let's purpose to do this, and we're going to realize really fast, man, I do not have the grace for this difficult person. You're going to realize really fast, boy, I don't like being challenged by truth in that way. But when we lean in and we participate in, in a life like this, then, then Jesus shows up. We learn to rely upon him, and we watch the miracle that he does. To, to grow us, to shape us, to feed us, to heal us, to bring rest. And guys, we get to experience the joy of seeing that happen in other people's lives and going, I got to be a part of that. I got to be a part of that, in, in that moment there, in this circumstance here, with that person there. It's a good life that's available to us when we lean into consistency, when we lean into engaging with the body of Christ. And man, Jesus shows up and he multiplies miraculously in our midst. Anybody want that? Man, I do. I do. Listen, as we've been working our way through this series, I've, I've left you all with a lot of different like things to ponder, things to consider, challenging questions. And um, I, don't, I don't mean for this to be hard and heavy. Like I really mean for it to be inviting and encouraging of the life God has for us. But there are elements of this that are going to involve us deciding, Lord, I'm open to what you want me to see and where you want me to be stretched, where you want me to grow, where you want me to change. I want to do that. And so I would invite you, just sit with these five things and go, Lord, is there one of these, is there one of these that you're wanting to, to like mold in me a little bit more? Is there a way I can, I can lean into that a little bit? Um, Lord, if I've just been in a place where I've been so disconnected, I'm just, I'm just hearing what I need right now. Like, I need some rest. I need to be fed. Like, let me at least lean in and go, hey, I want to be a part of something like that. Or maybe you begin to identify, you know what, man, I found some, some rest and some encouragement and some feeding. I want to participate a little bit more. How, how can I be more in the camp of, like, serving alongside, wrestling? Lord, where does this fit my life? and my connection within your body. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the life that we have in you. God, thank you that your words are spirit and they are life, as you said. Lord, thank you that you feed us when we're hungry, you bring rest to our weary souls. God, thank you that you get in the boat with us. God, in the storms of life, Lord, thank you that you satisfy, that even when we chase so many other things for satisfaction, God, the reality is, God, you satisfy our deepest need, our deepest hunger. And God, thank you that you love us enough, enough not to just leave us where we are, but you allow us to wrestle so that we can, we can stretch, we can grow. God, would you embody all of this in us? God, we acknowledge we need you. God, to, to be this kind of a person, 
to participate in this kind of church community. God, we need your presence and your grace. God, help us to participate with you. And then, God, help us to trust you to do all the things that only you can do. We love you. We commit our hearts to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.